I looked up this week um, the different kinds of fears um, and a list of fears. And uh, so I wrote some of them down just kind of we'll just do a pop quiz this morning. Uh, I don't know how many, if any, uh, have the, all the any or all the fears that, that, that I saw there. It's hard to imagine, but maybe there are. Uh, so these are phobias. By the way, I, I have I have a couple of phobias. I have I am claustrophobic, um, and uh, but not in a not in an abs- a weird way. I'm, I mean, I'm not gonna. Uh, but caves and stuff, small small places make me uncomfortable. I'm, I'm all, I always have fear of heights, uh, and so my my children uh, encourage me in that, and they're always sending me these uh, these pictures of people on the edge of cliffs and climbing towers. Yeah, exactly. So here, here, uh, here are some phobias. Okay, let's see, let's see how many of these you, you can you know. Acrophobia. What's that? What's that? Fear of acrobats. Acrophobia. No, close. It's the fear of heights. When you think of the Acropolis, a city on the hill, on the high, the high city, the Acropolis. Autophobia. Not the free fear of cars, no. Well, yeah, autos is usually self, himself. Fear of being alone. Barophobia. No, 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 no. Don't even say it. Fear of gravity. Now, that would be a rough one. That's, there's no relief. Glossophobia. Okay. Yeah, public speaking in public. Uh, and many of the many of the lists that I looked up that and, and many of them and, and there there's a wide variety. That was number one in a lot of the lists. The fear of, that was people's greatest fear of speaking speaking in public. Uh, real quick, I, I when I graduated from from college. I had to step down. I was an intern in a church. I had to step down. I went to work for Dale Carnegie and Associates. And I don't know who Dale Carnegie is, but it's it's not a public speaking course. It's a self-confidence course. They use public speaking to build self-confidence for this very reason, that if you can master and and you can overcome your fear of, of speaking in public, then you will have the kind of skills and tools, emotional tools, to be successful in whatever you do. And, and I'll never forget uh, the... The, the amazing things when someone they, they would have you come up and sit the first thing you do and, and, and the, the, the approach was very small steps everybody would be successful in very very small steps and the first step was have six people that would sit on the table sit on the edge of it, sit on the table and share your name and what you what, what you do for a living and uh, I took the before I sold the course they wanted me to kind of go through the course which is it was probably a good thing so I'm sitting on the table and the guy next to me was so scared and so fearful. He was imagine imagine sitting on the edge of a table and his hands were like this, and his, he he was sweating so badly his hands kept slipping off the table the whole time. Just paralyzed with fear, just to say his name and what he did. You know, I am a teacher. I don't. Know. 
uh, so glossophobia speaking, I don't know. That was, that was free. Um, miso or miso, misophobia? <laughs> You're just, he's a, va- <laughs> he just says the same thing every time because he's going to hit on it eventually. Fear of dirt and germs. Misophobia. Miso or misophobia. I'm not sure how to pronounce it. Okay. Pathophobia. Fear of disease. Necrophobia. Yeah. Fear of death. If, if, if someone were to ask me what, what the zeitgeist, uh, what our zeitgeist is, anybody know what zeitgeist is? That's a term we learned in, in seminary. It's a theological term for spirit of the age. What's the spirit of our age? Uh, I would say fear. Fear in many different forms. Uh, if not these things, um, certainly the last one. I think that if we've seen nothing else the last year to year and a half, uh, we've seen certainly a a whole lot of necrophobia, a lot of fear of death. And the text that I want us to look at this morning addresses this issue, this this issue of fear of death. If you would turn to Hebrews chapter 2. As you're turning there, if anyone who has widely read the Scriptures... From Genesis to Revelation, um, you should have noticed that that one of the predominant themes of the Bible is do not fear. We see it uh, uh, in in the Lord in speaking to Joshua, do not fear. Uh, We see it in the prophets, do not be afraid, do not fear. We see it in Jesus' teaching, do not fear. We see it all through the Bible. Um, Do not fear. And yet we see in our culture um, a spirit of fear. Hebrews 2, 14 14 and 15, that's all we're going to look at. Um, Since then the children share in flesh and blood. He himself likewise also partook of the same. That through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death that is, the devil, and might deliver those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. If I were to ask you what, just in in an initial reading, what the main idea of verses 14 through 15 is, what what would you say? It's about death. It's mentioned three times in two verses. That through death, through his death, he might render powerless him who had the power of death. That is the devil. And might deliver those who the fear of death were subject to slavery over their lives. So we're going to look at the, we're going to look at the uplifting uh, topic of death this morning. What does the Bible say about death? By the way, John Owen, great uh, Puritan theologian and pastor, wrote, a, it is. It has become a classic. Uh, what well, was a sermon, I believe? Um, the death of the death of uh, the death of death and the death of Christ. And I would humbly um, suggest to John Owen that really it's the death of the death of fear in the death of Christ, or the fear of death, not death of fear. 
Hebrews 9.27, turn over to chapter 9, verse 27. Let, let's talk about death, shall we? Um, by the way, if you, if you, I, I, just recently speaking of studies, I, I recently read a study that, uh, I don't know if it's true yet or not, uh, but uh, one out of one people die. I don't know. Uh, so far it's been certainly been true. And in, in as much as 9.27, in as much as it is appointed for men to die once... And after this comes judgment. Uh, death is inevitable. I'm not, I'm not saying anything we don't already know, but death is certain. Death is inevitable. But not only that, it's final. It is appointed unto man once to die, and then comes judgment. So the Bible says that, uh, that uh, affirms that we... From the moment of our conception, we are on a path to death. And no man, no woman, no child can escape that. They say the only two things that are certain in life are set taxes and death. And that's not true. You can, you can avoid to pay tax. You don't have to pay taxes. There's no way you're going to avoid death. It is inevitable. It is certain. And it is final. Turn back to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15. Verses 25 and 26. Well, actually, let's... Let's, let's for context, let's start in verse 20, just to get the context. We don't have any place else to go, right? Okay. But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. Talking about his resurrection. For since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ, the firstfruits, and after that, those who are Christ at his coming. And then comes the end, when he delivers up the kingdom to God the Father, when he has abolished all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that would be abolished is death. It's interesting that, that the Bible anthropomorphizes death. Um, it says that death is an enemy. Death is not natural. Death is not beautiful. Death is part of the, part of the fall. It, it is a result of the fall of sin an alienation from the Father. God never intended originally that man should die. But it, it, death entered through Adam, and in Adam all die. It, it is an enemy. And he says that this enemy will one day be abolished. Now, this, this word abolished means to be rendered powerless, to be, to be rendered ineffective. Um, in, in fact, look with me at verse, verses 40, uh, 54 through 57 of the same chapter. But when this perishable, this perishable body will have put on imperishable and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? 
The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. And in fact, it is these very, this very sentiment, this very truth that Jesus said when he said, I am the resurrection and life. Um, even if a man dies, yet shall he live through Christ. So, death is inevitable. Death is certain. Um, death is final. Uh, it is an enemy that, uh, that we are powerless to overcome. But as, the, as Paul says, thanks be to God that there will be a day when um, it, he, he will abolish death and, and, and we will be raised uh, to newness of life. Uh, back to Hebrews then. Beginning in verse 9, um, the author of Hebrews, we're not sure who, who wrote Hebrews, but the author of Hebrews is talking about the incarnation that Jesus t- t- took on human flesh. And we say human flesh, we mean human nature, a human body, but, but more so a, a, a fully man. We do, verse 9, we, we see him who was made for a little while lower than the angels, namely Jesus, because of the suffering of death crowned with glory and honor that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting for him for whom are all things and through whom are all things and bringing many sons to glory to perfect the author their salvation through sufferings. The, the, uh, the, the, the passion of Christ, the sufferings of Christ uh, as, as fully man. For, he, for both he who sanctifies and both those who are sanctified are all from one Father, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Um, so the, the, the context of verses 14 through 15 is the fact that Jesus took on human flesh, that he became a man, that we see this in John 1.14, right? The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We see this in 1 Timothy 3.16. We see it all through the New Testament, uh, the fact that Jesus became man, that he took on flesh. And verse 14 begins by affirming that since then the children share in flesh and blood, he himself also likewise partook of the same. He took on flesh and blood. Now there's a, there's a, there's a word here that is crucial that we, we notice, and that is the word that. That. What does that indicate? What does the word that indicate? Purpose. It indicates purpose. And what was the purpose? That through his death, he might render powerless him who had the power of death. That is the devil. So that's the first reason. That he might render powerless the one who had the power of death. And what's the second reason? Verse 15, and... See, see why these things are important? See that why, we, why we have exercises on Wednesday nights to look for these words? These are important words. And oftentimes we just skip over them. And we start reading stuff however we want to read them. These are important. Two reasons, not 
the only reasons for the incarnation, but two reasons that this text tells us why Jesus took on humanity. One is that he might render powerless the devil who had the power of death through his death. He might render powerless the one who had the power of death. And verse 15, that he might deliver those who through their fear of death were subject to slavery all of their lives. Two reasons. That through his death, he might render powerless the devil. Do we believe that? A lot of teaching out there does not believe that. A lot of teaching out there uh, is, has dev- the devil in darkness overcoming the church and overcoming the gospel. And that someday Jesus is going to have to come and rescue us from these insidious darkness, this insidious darkness that's growing and becoming more and more powerful. And yet the Bible says that the devil has been, <laughs> the power of the devil, the power of death has been defeated. Uh, turn with me to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter, this is important. Matthew chapter 12. Jesus had been doing some healing and, and they, they attributed what he was doing to, to the power of Satan and the power of the, 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 uh, Beelzebub. Verse 22, there was brought to him a demon-possessed man who was blind and dumb and he healed him so that the dumb man spoke and saw and all the multitudes were amazed and began to say, this, this cannot be the son of David, can he? And the answer is, yes. Because this is exactly what was prophesied. And all the multitudes were amazed and they began to say, this man cannot be the son of David. When the Pharisees heard, they said, this man cast out demons by, by Beelzebub, the, the ruler of demons. And knowing their thoughts, he said to them, any kingdom divided against itself is laid waste. Any city or house divided against itself shall not stand. If Satan, is, if Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then shall his kingdom stand? And if I, by Beelzebub, cast out demons, by whom do your sons cast them out? Consequently, they shall be your judges. But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Here it is. How can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his property unless he first binds the strong man? And then he will plunder his house. What's he talking about in verse 29? Is he talking really about home burglaries? In context, who's he talking about? Who's the strong man? Satan. Who's binding him? Jesus. And what is Jesus doing? Plundering the kingdom of the devil. The devil has been bound. Jesus has bound the devil. He's bound. Uh, we see this truth in Revelation 22. And I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key of the abyss and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. It's interesting. He was already bound when Jesus came. He's bound. Colossians 2.15 says that Christ on the cross disarmed the rulers and the powers and the authorities. Now, binding doesn't mean that he's not active and does not mean that he is, he is still a destructive force. 
We see this in 1 Peter 5.8. He's certainly still active. But in terms of of, of his rule and reign that he had prior to Jesus and prior to the cross, that that has been abolished. It has been broken. It has been destroyed. And in fact... The, the, the Psalm chapter 2 prophesied this. When Jesus came to the Father, he said, Ask of me and I will give you all the nations as your inheritance. So Jesus came to die. And in his death, it says that he might render powerless him who had the power of death. No. The devil. And what, what, what does that mean? What does it mean that the devil had the power of death? What's, what's the phrase power of death? What is that? The genitive. What does that mean? See, we just read this and, and we will just automatically assign a meaning. But to think through it a little bit. What does it mean, the power of death? It could be the power that death gives. That's, that's probably not it because death isn't a person or thing. A power that is death. If you remember how we've looked at the many different ways that genitives can be interpreted. Um, let, let me tell you what I, I think that, that makes the most sense, at least in, in context in my reading, is what, what we call a genitive of, of association. The power associated with death. Otherwise, we, we, we would have to affirm that, that Jesus really doesn't have the keys of life and death. He only has the keys of life, but that Satan has the, the keys of death. That Satan determines who lives and dies. We cannot affirm that. We, we can't affirm that because the Bible doesn't affirm that. So the power of death does not mean that he has the ability to, to determine who lives and who dies. That's why I opt for a power of our genitive association. He has this. He has the, the, the. He had the power that was associated with death. We see this in the fall when he deceived Eve, and and, and when Adam joined in, and and what was the result of that? Starts with D, rhymes with F. Death. We see that throughout history he's brought about death and destruction through deceitfulness and through lies and through his temptations. The, the New Testament, Paul calls this the schemes of the devil. And that great passage in, in, in Ephesians 6, where he says that we put on the armor of God to protect us from the schemes of the devil. Jesus came and he died so that through his death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil. We need not fear the devil. That was the first reason. The second reason is verse 15. That he might, and that he might deliver those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. Who through the fear of death. They're afraid of dying. Are you afraid of dying? What might be some reasons why people are afraid of dying? Well, one might be the separation. Right? I mean, who wants to be separated from their loved ones? I remember when I was a young father, 
and I have young children. I, you know, I didn't, I, was like, I didn't want to die. I want to see my children grow up, you know. So that, that there's something to be said, you know, that, that part of the, our fear of dying is separation. Um, another reason, and probably, I, I, there's no data, I don't know, but I think that people are uncertain about where they're going to go. Our, our culture probably lives in this, this mortal fear of death because they're really not certain what lies beyond the grave. And so their lives uh, are lived in slavery, slavery to eat, drink, and be merry, um, to, to distract my thinking away from death because it is such a, a scary mystery. I, I don't know what's going to happen. But it's interesting to me that he describes it as slavery. Who, because they are afraid, and I take this an objective genitive, their, their, their fear of death, the, the fear of, the, of dying, of the experience of death, they are subject to slavery. Well, I wonder how many of us are, are, are enslaved by our fear of death. We experience the enslavement of our joy. I mean, listen, folks, every time we, I was going to say every time we walk out our doors in the morning, we, are, we, are, we, we face innumerable risks to our lives. But now that I'm 62, just getting out of bed, I, I realize we, we, we have this notion I don't know where it came from. I don't know if it's something unique to the United States because of our standard of living, because of our, because of our incredible, well, uh, medical community, and medical technology. Have we got, has it been kind of a, a false sense of security? But we have this false sense of we really control our lives. Every time you walk out your door... You subject yourself to innumerable risks of your life. And if you, if you allow that fear of those risks, they will enslave, you will experience, your joy will be enslaved. You, you can never really enjoy life. You'll experience an enslavement of your hope. If your focus is on fear of dying, you, you'll lose your hope. Your, the enslavement of your well, of just your general well-being, enslavement of your quality of life, where we don't go, what we don't do. Listen, life is full of risks. Every time we walk out our door, there is no guarantee that when you walk out your door tomorrow morning, that you will not be dead by the end of the day. There is no guarantee. By number of risks. And what Jesus did was he died for us, if the text tells us, to free, to deliver. This is, this is a word that is used in the book of Acts when captives were released from jail. When Peter was set free from jail, when he was delivered from jail. That he might set free those who were enslaved all their lives to this fear of death. 
One of the most liberating things about coming to know Christ is, is we are released from the enslavement of the fear of death. We have been set free from the fear of death, from the enslavement and the enslavements that come from our fear of death. It's a very simple message. Through his death, he came to die to abolish the one who held the power of death, the power associated with death. And he might set the captives free who were enslaved by their fear of death. Now let me wrap up by saying clearly Jesus does not want us to fear death. There is no reason for us to fear death. Now again, I'm not talking about, man, I would miss my wife, I'd miss my kids, the end of a separation. Although they would probably... I don't mean this, you know how I mean this. They would miss me more than I would miss them probably. I don't know what in heaven, I don't know, can you experience missing in heaven? I don't know. Yeah. I understand that. I've already addressed that. But he came to to deliver us from all the enslavements and this this fear of death, this this zeitgeist of the fear of death. When... There are some things that we should fear a lot more than death. Let me give you three of mine. Uh, I fear more than death. I fear that I would ever compromise my faith in Christ. I would rather be dead than compromise my faith in Christ. That is what I'm afraid of. I look at 2 Timothy 4, 9 through 10 in this this, this man called Demas, this, he's only mentioned briefly three times. One in, in Colossians, once in Philemon. He was a co-worker of Paul. He traveled with Paul. And in 2 Timothy 4, 9-10 it says, And Demas, because he loved this present world, world, deserted me and went to Thessalonica. That scares me. Here was a man who traveled with Paul. The Apostle Paul. And there came a point in time of his life, for whatever reason or reasons, because he loved this present world, deserted his faith. That's what you should be afraid of. Not death. I'd rather be dead than ever do that. If I knew that sometime, and if I could foresee the future, and I, and I saw that that's what something I would do, I'd say, oh God, take my life now. Uh, we're already in chapter 2. Let's look over chapter 3, verses 12 and 13 of Hebrews. Take care, brethren, lest there should be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart in falling away from the living God. I'd rather be dead than do that. That fear, that, that, that is, I'm afraid of. That's something we should fear. That in any one of us, that in me, there might be an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. Oh God, take my life before that ever happens. Again, what should we fear? We should fear compromise. 
that we'd ever compromise our faith in Christ, not death. There are certain things that are more that, that are worse than death that we should be afraid of. Number two, I, I, I'm not afraid of death. I'm afraid that I would ever deny him. You remember the story of Peter? Remember Peter? Matthew 26, when, when Peter, you know, they're, they're having their supper and Jesus predicts Judas's betrayal. It was interesting to interesting in verse 22. They are all saying, I'm surely not I, Lord. I, if I were to ask you would, you, would you ever deny Christ? Every single one of us would say, no, no way. Well, that's what Peter said. The Apostle Peter. What did Peter say? Even though all may fall away because of you, I'll never fall away. Oh, really? Jesus says, you're right. You would never deny me. In fact, you will deny me three times before the cock crows. That's what you should be afraid of. Not death. Number three, that I would ever shrink back in fear in the face of persecution. We're in Hebrews. Turn to Hebrews chapter 10. The whole book of, of Hebrews the, is written to a persecuted church who had had their property confiscated. Martyrs had been made because of the, their faith. Hebrews chapter 10 Verse 35, therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, eternal life. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. For yet in a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith, not fear, by faith, not fear of death, faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. And he concludes by saying, but we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the preserving of the body and my life in this world. Is that what it says? No, to the preserving of the soul, my eternal life. I would rather be dead than ever shrink back in fear in the face of persecution for my faith. Let me ask you, and, and just in, the, in your own heart, as I had to do, I'm asked you to do. What would you be willing to sacrifice if for another, just another year of life in this world? What would you be willing to sacrifice? Another five years, what would you sacrifice? If you were guaranteed another 20 years, but you had to sacrifice one of these three things, would you do it? If we could eke out another 15 years by doing any of the above, would we? In conclusion, let me get back to this notion of uncertainty. There are a lot of Christians, people, who cling to this life 
their fear of death, they're enslaved, they cling to this life at all costs. Because of the uncertainty. Uncertainty. They're uncertain. One of the the questions that is asked in many evangelism presentations is if, do you know for certain that if you died today, you'd go to heaven? And the Bible says you can know for certain. I know Tom knows this verse, but 1 John 5, 13 might as well turn there so we can read it, not take my word for it. First John 5.13 He says, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, in order that you may really hope that you have eternal life. Well, well maybe, maybe verses 11 and 12 will help. And this is the witness. And the witness is this, that God has given us, God has given us eternal life. And this life is in His Son. He who has the Son has the life. Has what life? Eternal life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have that life, that eternal life. These things, I've, what are these things? The things that I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. I have written these things to you in order that you may know, epignosis, know with a certainty, that you have eternal life. There might be a lot of reasons why you fear death. Maybe you're living out of fellow, not you. You, out, okay, outside those doors, you. Living in sin. You're not right with the Lord. We all sin, I understand that. Maybe it's because you are really down in your heart of hearts. You're really not certain of where you would go when you die. And if that's, your, if that's the case, yes, I would be afraid of death too if I were you. Anybody who's not placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone is one breath away from hell. Can I say that word here? Is that okay? Hell? One breath away. That's something to be afraid of. <laughs> you, you know, people always say, "Well, we don't want to. We don't want to be, bring people into the heaven because of fear." Well, yeah, I, 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 can't, I think I understand kind of that sentiment. I mean, Jesus came not to condemn but to save, and Jesus loves and He's offers. I, I understand all that. But can there be really good news if there's not really bad news? And so people try to alleviate their fear of death through party. And, and again, maybe just through not thinking about it. Um, but, but God says you can know that you have eternal life. And how can you know that? You can only know that through the one who came and died for you. Who paved the way for you. That through faith in him alone you might know for certain that you have eternal life. And I never want to assume anything, even though we are a small group. If you're here this morning and you have a fear of death, you need to do some soul searching and ask yourself why. 
And if it's, well, I just don't want to leave my loved ones, okay, I understand that. But even that, that's an enslavement. But if it's because I'm not sure of where I will go, yeah, I, I think that's something you probably should be afraid of and you can probably should take care of that this morning. It's not just to get a stay out of hell card. Maybe you're maybe you're truly a believer, but you struggle with assurance and doubt. That's an enslavement. The Bible says, in order that you may know that you have eternal life, settle that this morning, guys. There's a lot of things to be afraid of out there. Uh, not the least of which is death. But God has already told us death, we all know this, death is inevitable. It's final. Um, And one day, um, it will be the last enemy that is abolished. Uh, Through our resurrection, we will never experience death again. But that only comes through faith alone in Jesus Christ. That's it. And, And when we do that... And and when we place our faith and trust in Him alone, we no longer have to fear death. And not only that, you give the greatest present you could possibly give to your loved ones so that when they lay your dead, lifeless body in a casket, no one has to wonder where you are. Let me read these words again in closing. By the way, I don't know if you noticed this or not. I didn't even notice until I was playing this morning. And and we practiced this week. But in, in the hymn that we sang, verse 3. You remember verse 3, Larry, right? Turn your eyes to the morning and see Christ the lion awake. What a glorious dawn. Fear of death is gone. For, he, for we carry his life in our veins. I, didn't, I mean, we're, I'm playing this and going, that, that's, that's what I'm preaching on today. Where was I? Well, since then, children share in flesh and blood. He himself likewise also partook of the same purpose, that through his death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil. And, number two, that he might deliver and free those who through their fear of death were subject to all forms of slavery all their lives. Let's pray.